Welcome to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast with Alex Dean and Brian Cunningham. Here we have a drink, have a laugh, and you just might learn something about our favorite stories from history. Please visit our website at hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Welcome back to the Hidden History Happy Hour today with just me, Brian, Alex, on assignment, back together next week. As you can see, today I'm enjoying some champagne. And I'm enjoying some, some I'm enjoying some champagne from one of my favorite champagne purveyors, vineyards here in the United States, Schramsberg. Apologies to our friends uh, in France who don't recognize that champagne can be produced anywhere outside of the Champagne region, but I beg to differ. Why am I drinking champagne? Why did I go to the trouble of putting on a sweater today? Well, it's because we're celebrating a few things. First, a couple days ago, we just hit the one-year anniversary of the Hidden History Happy Hour. So thank you so much for supporting us. Uh, we've had a great first year. No end in sight. Keep watching. Keep uh, writing in. Keep subscribing. Tell your friends. You guys are what makes the show happen. Really appreciate it. Also, I'm very pleased to announce our second Hidden History Happy Hour live event. This will be taking place across the pond this time in London Town at the High Timber Restaurant, cleverly located on High Timber Street in London, on the evening of 23 February 2023, or for our stateside viewers and listeners, February 23rd, 2023. So please join us if you possibly can. There'll be an Evite up. Possibly it's even in the show notes today. Please sign up. It's great to know how many people are coming. It helps us plan the episode. And also, as a retrospective of our first year, we're going to do a special show where we play and talk about a few clips from your favorite episodes from the first year. So there'll be a poll out. Please, uh, please, please uh, vote in that poll. We're going to be doing another live Twitter Spaces event soon. Yet another thing we're announcing. Another reason I'm drinking champagne. Please participate in that. And finally, the main reason I'm having champagne today is, as you probably know, a ritual for christening ships is to take a bottle of champagne and break it across the bow of said new ship. Now, I'm not going to do that because Schramsberg is too good. Also, I don't have a ship handy. But what I will do is toast the story from more lessons from history, or as I like to just call it now, junior. And of course, when the third one comes out, I'll be calling that trip. Um, and this is a story that we we, we tell uh, in fairness. And what I mean by that is last time, as you may recall, we told the story of a very hapless German warship uh, in the phony war leading up to World War II. And in the meantime, between that show and this show, the Germans have stepped up and finally agreed to provide their leopard tanks to the heroic resistance in Ukraine, along with U.S. Uh, Abrams tanks and tanks from Poland. By the way, cheers to Poland. I mean, they have really stepped up in this and been leaders in the whole thing, and we really appreciate that. But here's to Germany for providing tanks to Ukraine. And therefore, in the interest of fairness and even-handedness, we're going to tell a story today about a, an equally hapless American ship during World War II who didn't actually wind up killing uh, as many people uh, on its own side as the German ship we talked about last time, but almost 
uh, did something catastrophic that would have perhaps altered the course of history. So without further ado, don't shoot We're Republicans from the junior version of Lessons from History, a.k.a. More Lessons from History. Go out and buy it today. It's available on Amazon. I'm going to follow Alex's example, and I'm just going to pretty much read this story from the book. This is the story of the USS William D. Porter which was named after U.S. Civil War Commodore William Porter, a brave and distinguished leader of fighting men who had done nothing to deserve this association being inflicted upon his memory, probably rolling over in his grave. Uh, her launch, that is the USS William D. Porter's launch in 1943, was just about the only thing that went right for the Willie D., as her crew called her. She was perhaps the unluckiest ship in history. Now, I take that to mean that Alex is assessing this ship against the German ship we talked about last time and found this one even more unlucky. And here's why. The Porter's first task, the Willie D's first task, was to serve in a support group for the USS Iowa. Cheers to Iowa, one of my alumni and location of our uh, excellent podcasting team. And on the Iowa was one President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who boarded the ship to head for Cairo for a conference with Winston Churchill and Cheyenne Kai-shek of the uh, Chinese government. As she left the dock in Norfolk, Virginia, her anchor was not retracted properly, and so she tore the railings, the lifeboat mountings, a lifeboat, and other bits and pieces one would rather have intact from the ship berthed next to her. So it didn't hurt her own, her, her own ship, hurt the one next to it. Now, the Willie D had been at sea for one day, when her next accident occurred. A depth charge, which should not have been armed but was, rolled across and then fell off her deck, exploding in the water and causing the entire task force in which she was sailing to commence evasive maneuvers as they thought they were under attack by German U-boats. Nope, it's not that, lads. It's just the porter playing up, and believe me, you'll get used to it. Now, one notes in the interest of fairness that the porter had been scrambled into action for the mission and her crew was underprepared. But that is the case with many ships of war in times of crisis and most managed to equip themselves without such a course of potentially deadly events against their own side, just like the German ship last time. As this false alarm that was wholly the fault of the porter was coming to a close, she went through a big wave, lost a sailor overboard and her boiler promptly packed in. Now I shouldn't laugh because losing a sailor is not funny, but just, the haplessness of this ship. In spite of the aforementioned haste with which she was deployed, she had had her shakedown voyage and was supposed to be match fit and ready for anything. She limped behind the task force for a while as repairs were affected and had to break radio silence to let the fleet know why she was so far behind, an act for which her captain was admonished. Now listen, admonished? As a former intelligence officer, I will say, if you have the commander-in-chief of your armed forces on board, and you break radio silence in the middle of the Atlantic with the wolf packs prowling, that probably earned more than an admonishment. But my guess is because they were at war and in the middle of the ocean, there was no other action they could really take against the captain at the time. Finally, she rendezvoused with the Iowa and the porter took part in a live fire drill. Hey, porter, how about you pretend to fire a torpedo at the Iowa? Isn't this a fun simulation? Oh, wait, wait. Oh, God, you've actually fired a live torpedo at the Iowa, which, quick reminder, has the president aboard. 
in a fantastic demonstration of misplaced priorities, having learned the wrong lessons previously. The crew of the Porter was now absurdly scrupulous about observing radio silence in this entirely self-created crisis, refusing to radio to say, hey, over there, guys, no biggie, but whoopsie, we fired a torpedo at you with the president on board. Instead, they signaled using a lamp, which is not an ideal method of communicating an emergency, especially when the message you're sending isn't beware our stupidly fired real and actual torpedo in the water and heading your way. The porter was instead mistakenly signaling the unhelpful, nonsensical, and bizarrely self-centric, the porter is backing up lamps. Don't do it. In desperation, they finally broke radio silence and fessed up to the torpedo. Oh, sounds exciting, said Roosevelt, and had himself taken out on the deck and pushed up to the ship's railing in his wheelchair so that he could have a closer look. You have to love a leader with courage and a sense of humor, am I right? The Iowa got the message and made haste to move out of the torpedo's path. Wise move. And the president and her crew had a fine view of a torpedo exploding in her wake a short distance behind her. The guns of the mighty Iowa swiveled to be fixed upon the porter as fears of an attempted presidential assassination grew. So let that sink in for a minute. You have a series of accidents that convinced the skipper of the USS Iowa that perhaps a presidential assassination by way of torpedo was underway. But no, it wasn't that, fellas. It's just the porter being the porter. From henceforth, the crew of the porter became wearily accustomed to receiving a new greeting from other American ships upon passing or coming into a harbor. And again, I have to say, the combination of courage and humor in wartime is amazing. They said to the uh, porter, don't shoot, we're Republicans. Because you see, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a Democrat. So if there had been an assassination attempt against him, the joke was he wouldn't try it if the ship you were about to potentially shoot at was a Republican ship. Funny, right? Right, you ship full of klutzes, we're pulling you out of the line. Make haste to Bermuda for an inquiry and try not to break anything or fire on your own side on the way. This, at least, the porter managed. And after a no doubt deeply uncomfortable review of proceedings, Lawton Dawson, the chief torpedoman, who had left the torpedo live in the course of the exercise, was sentenced to 14 years of hard labor. But, rather sportingly, his erstwhile target, almost victim, President Roosevelt, intervened on his behalf. Again, sense of humor and grace. For the next few months, the porter successfully did nothing, which was a major improvement for her in the scheme of things. Then she went to the North Pacific, and whilst bad weather mostly prevented her from doing much, she even fired her guns at unseen enemies a few more times, so some scores were finally being chalked up. Oh, and one more thing. In the course of exercises aboard whilst at base, presumably in the course of trying to improve her rather lamentable performance to date, the Porter's crew accidentally fired a live five-inch artillery shell towards their own command headquarters. It landed in the commander's front yard, in fact. Another fantastic porter cock-up. Another miraculous escape from more serious harm as a result. From such stellar performance of her Pacific duties, she was sent to the Philippines, arriving too late for much action, which was probably for the best. Thereafter, she spent months acting as an escort ship, once being attacked from the air but not being harmed, so things were seriously looking up by this point. Finally, her big moment, the porter sank 
and abandon enemy bards. What a day that must have been. Thrilled not to use up all her success at once, the porter went on to bombard the shoreline a bit and even shot down some enemy planes. She had finally arrived. Whoops. Mm, no, she hadn't. Steaming in to support the assault of Okinawa, the porter got stuck in properly. Take that. Only to realize that the ship she was raking with gunfire during the battle was not, in fact, a ship of the Imperial Japanese Navy, but rather the friendly destroyer USS Luce. Ceasing fire upon her comrades at last, the porter was targeted by a kamikaze pilot in an antiquated Aichi bomber who completely missed her in the death dive. Well, it seems again, ladies and gentlemen, the porter's luck was changing, but stand by. The porter then sailed over the spot in which the Japanese plane had gone down. The plane blew up beneath her, walloping the destroyer clear out of the water with a massive destructive punch, resulting in a huge hole in her hull that fast took on huge amounts of water, and that was the end of the USS Porter. Now, the gods like to laugh, but it seems they also have a certain sense of fair play. If they're going to sink your ship in quite such a ridiculous way, there is a quid pro quo karmic outcome. Unbelievably, ladies and gentlemen, the porter suffered zero casualties as she was sunk. Up she went into the air, down she went into the deep, and in between, all hands safely made it off the ship. The famously unlucky ship, whose shining moment was firing a treasonous torpedo at her own side. The USS Porter, everybody, from more lessons from history, or as I like to call it now, Junior. So here in the United States, we have, uh, we're in a political era, which is getting particularly ugly and difficult, uh, including Republican on Republican uh, attacks and Democrat on Democrat attacks and um, time of, very, very severe partisan divide. But I have to say, one of the reasons we like to learn lessons from history is to give us perspective about our own times. And at least we don't have our president being attacked by his own military. So we got that going for us, which is nice. Now, we will see you next time with my pal Alex Dean back. In the meantime, one, let us know your preferences for our compilation special from year one there's going to be a poll put out by our, our web page watch for that two if you're in the uk or on the continent and you want to brave the channel uh mark your calendars for 23 february 2023 a little poetic there where we will be having our first uh uk live event at the high timber restaurant details to follow and finally watch for our twitter spaces event which is coming soon as well and in the meantime cheers everybody Thank you for listening to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for topics, you can find us on Twitter or on our website, hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com. We look forward to joining you next time. Much gratitude to our multi-talented production team of Jeremy Core, Kate Cruz, and Grace Keller, and to our visionary executive producer, Ivan Williams. And thanks also to our art designer, David Wardle, without whom this podcast would be, well history. Cheers.